Good morning. Through three weeks of play in the NFL season, Patrick Mahomes II, the Kansas City Chiefs quarterback, has lit the NFL on fire. That's right. Yeah. He set the record for touchdown passes in the first three games, and he hasn't even thrown a pick yet. I say all that, uh, you know, thinking he's probably going to throw three picks against Denver tomorrow night. But the Kansas City Chiefs are 3-0, and and Mahomes has received a lot of attention. I mean, around the nation, around the world. Patrick Mahomes, man, nobody thought he'd be this good this early. But I just want to paint a, a picture for you. Imagine... If the Chiefs' offensive line, the, the guys whose job it is to protect Mahomes, imagine if they just stayed at home, watched the game from the couch on the recliner, um, and they didn't show up. They, they just didn't even show up to the game. They ate snacks, you know, and they were like, let's see how, how Pat does without us. Um, it goes to say, it goes without saying that Mahomes would not be doing so great. Um, and it's not enough that the offensive line just puts on the pads and the jerseys and they show up. That they gotta grind, they gotta fight, they gotta scrap uh, every single play, so that the whole team has a chance to succeed. And all, all I'm saying with this is everybody has their role. Everybody has to play their role. And whether you're a sports fan or not, you've experienced this somewhere in your life. Maybe a, a group project or, you know, just being in an office with other people. Everybody has to play a role in order to be successful and as successful as possible. All that to say, and I'm no uh, cultural expert and I don't want to speak or judge the whole church, but I, I do want to throw out some stats today that are alarming to me. So in America... Uh, many people say that they're Christians, and, and that's, that's a good thing, right? 70 to 80 percent, this, this stat or this survey has 73 percent of Americans claiming to be Christ followers. And even more, other, other surveys I read had like towards 90 percent believe in God. Believe in God. Believe he's out there. Um, but many, according to surveys, statistics, Again, I'm just reading the stats, same as you can. Uh, many don't come to church. Same study as the image that you saw before. Now on this next slide, uh, show 31%. Well, actually, sorry, this is a different study. But the same study as the one you sh saw before said 31% of Americans are practicing Christians. So 73 minus 31, somewhere in the 40%, 42% of difference. That, that's huge. That's a big jump. And this survey, this one, shows over 50%. It's kind of hard to read, so that's why I marked it. Over 50% are seldom or never attenders of church or synagogue. We're even including Jews in this survey. So all I'm saying is if you take all those numbers into consideration with response bias, which response bias means if I ask Todd a question, or if, if any of us are asked a question, we're more likely, even if a stranger asks you a question, we're more likely to say more good things about ourselves and, and fewer bad things. That's response bias. Uh, if you take that into consideration, these numbers are probably even greater than the numbers that are shown. So all that to say, just according to the data that I've looked at, we live in a culture of people who think God exists and many of which believe they have personal relationship with God, yet 
they do not regularly practice, even something as simple as an hour-long weekly gathering. And James 1, this is concerning to me when you look at what the Bible says. James 1 says, you believe that God is one. Good job. Even the demons believe that accurate truth about God and they shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? So James is saying, if it's legit faith, if it's authentic, like living faith, uh, it's going to be shown in action. And so I, I, I want to be really clear here. I'm not proposing that our problem is people don't come to church. <laughs> I'm not proposing that at all. I, I can't tell you everything I don't mean this morning. I just don't have time to tell you everything I don't mean. But, so, the, a church with more people, I, I, I do want to say some of these things. A church with more people coming is not necessarily a growing church. A growing church means a lot more things are happening than more people showing up and more and more people showing up. Because you can have a bunch of people coming, a lot of money, an amazing building, and spiritually, it can be unhealthy even to the point of being hospitalized on spiritual life support or spiritually dead. You can be in a packed out room and still be alone. You can, you can have a packed out room and have little to no community in that room. You can have world-class musicians playing music and you can miss what the Bible describes as corporate worship. So here's, here's one example, one description of corporate worship Romans 12:1 says this, I appeal to you brothers by the mercies of God to offer to present your bodies plural. We've looked at this before. Y'all's bodies, your whole life to present you all as one living sacrifice. That's your spiritual act or another translation says your rational act of worship. That that just makes sense in light of the gospel. This is the way that it makes sense to live. And that's worship to God. That's corporate worship. Each of us taking all of us, throwing it in to community, lived intentionally for the glory of Jesus. So a better question than how many people come to church is how engaged are the people in each other's lives? Another better question than, hey, where do you go to church? Um, and to leave that alone is, hey, what does that community mean to you? How has God used them to shape and change and encourage you in your life with him? Dustin Willis uh, is an author and a pastor, and he said this, distance from community is a sure sign of distance from Jesus himself. And so when the Bible talks about the church, it's, it's simply saying a called out group of people. The church is not a building. It's not a set of programs. The church is us. The, we are the church. That's what we've been called to as Christ followers. And that's what we've been studying this last month in order to faithfully move towards who is it that God wants us to be as his church. And you might think, or you might have been thinking, Ben, here we are. This is us. Uh, you're preaching to the choir, man. Like th that phrase used to come from, you know, choirs being back behind the preacher. And it's like, well, you know, we're, we're here. We're, we're literally behind you. Um, <laughs> but uh, 
you know, that maybe that picture that I painted of American Christianity or that those stats paint, may, may, I know for a fact it does not describe many of you. Um, and so I want to encourage you, continue to make your life about discipleship to Jesus. But I am talking to you and to myself because that discipleship to Jesus, it's for the whole world. And so I think the world in which we find ourselves living is filled with incredible opportunities. And they're awkward. I mean, I just want to share, in the last few months, as God's been impressing these truths on my heart, he's been like, okay, so you have to talk to people if they're not really plugged in. You you actually have to, you know, do something about it. You you have to put action to this faith. And uh, sometimes that action is, I I keep praying for them and I invite them in. Other times I've been more direct, like, dude, I love you too much for you to stay in this current pattern of living without committing to a church community. And other times it's kind of a mix. Like each time I, I walk into these relationships or these conversations, I, I'm trying to ask God, how do you want me to engage this person right now? Um, but, but I do believe as we reach our neighbors, not necessarily the people who dwell in the house next to you, but the people in your life, as we reach our neighbors, we're gonna reach the nations the Lord will reach the nations through us. And uh, when we make disciples, we're not just making converts, meaning we're not just making people who say, yes, I've prayed a prayer and I've given my life to Jesus. We're making disciples. Jesus is making disciples through us. Uh, and, And Jesus said, the fields are ripe for the harvest, but the laborers are few. So I'm going to give you the application for this message just up front. No confusion while I got your attention. Here's, here's, here's what I want us to do. Here's what I believe God's word is encouraging us to do out of 1 Corinthians 12. Pursue Jesus and pursue people, especially his people that you call your church, the local church. That's the application for all of us, whether you've heard it a thousand times or done it a hundred times. That, that is the application, the point of this message. And frankly, the point of the whole Bible is to obey it and not to know about it. So uh, God help us live out this truth as we read it and um, talk about it this morning. Amen. Uh, here's our text. 1 Corinthians 12. I'm going to read the whole chapter. So you ready? Okay, good. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I don't want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand, no one speaking by God's spirit ever says Jesus is cursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are a variety of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities. But it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another the working of miracles. To another prophecy. To another the ability to distinguish between spirits. And to another various kinds of tongues. To another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. 
For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. And if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the eye should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. And if all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think are less honorable, we bestow greater honor. And on our unpresentable parts, they're treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts don't require that kind of treatment. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for each other. If one member suffers, they all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? The answer to those questions is no, just so you know but eagerly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you a still more excellent way. And in case you didn't know, right after chapter 12 is chapter 13, which many of us know because it's used at weddings. Uh, love is patient, love is kind, does not envy, it does not boast. Um, that, that's what's following. That's the excellent way, just, just to be clear. Uh, and now we're just going to walk back through this passage and pick up some principles on spiritual gifts because that's what Paul is talking about here in chapter 12. So uh, we'll go pretty quickly. Um, this is a fairly long passage, and I'd love to spend more time on it, but we just have an hour today. So, uh, and, and most of the, well, about half the hour is not mine to talk. So here we go. Uh, first principle on spiritual gifts. They point to Jesus. Okay, so the first three verses, Paul's shifting his attention to spiritual gifts and he's saying, I want you to understand that about spiritual gifts, they come from the spirit and this spirit is the, the spirit that Jesus said in John 15, when he comes, the spirit who I'm gonna send to you from the father, he's gonna bear witness about me. So all these gifts, if just... I think this is helpful to just kind of clarify. No matter what your gift is or how clear you are about giftings, period, here's the intention of all of them. Whether you're confused or not, they all point to Jesus. That's, it's quite simple, quite clear. The purpose of the gifts is to point to Jesus. 
And that's what he means in verse 3 when he's saying the Spirit of God never says Jesus is accursed. The Spirit of God always proclaims Jesus as Lord, shows Jesus to be king, shows Jesus as he is. So that's, that's the first principle. The gifts point to Jesus. So if our lives are pointing to Jesus, right? Remember the application? Pursue Jesus, pursue people. <laughs> if our lives are pointing to Jesus, um, then the gifts will happen because our lives are directed in that same way. And this is what the Spirit is doing. He's giving gifts to point to Jesus. Principle number two. Uh, there are many gifts, but Paul is emphasizing the oneness of God. So all these different varieties, these different manifestations, but one God. And so we see this in verses four to six. He says, varieties of, of gifts, but the same spirit. Varieties of service, but the same Lord. He's referring to the Son, Jesus. Varieties of activities, but the same God, the Father. So kind of this reference to the triune God who is active in giving gifts and active through the use of these gifts. It is God who empowers spiritual gifts in everyone, not just in the people who went to seminary, all right? Not just in the people who have been in church or read their Bible a long time and know their Bible. Empowers them in everyone in the church, everyone who belongs to Jesus. And so just just think about this with me. If this is God at work in your life, spiritual gifts are a lot more than your natural tendency. And I'm not saying that God doesn't work through natural tendencies as well. I'm just saying this is God's power, not ours. This is God empowering service. This is God empowering activities. So uh, it takes courage. It's going to take you stepping out of yourself. It's going to take you trusting God. The best way to say it is probably doing something uncomfortable Uh, I've shared this story before, but uh, when I was in college, kind of that first year of college, I didn't really, I'm an introvert, I didn't really feel the need to make friends, and one of the ways I avoided situations I was not comfortable with is uh, like large group settings, Christian challenge, I would go to the bathroom, just hang out there. (laughs) Um, Seriously, I did. Um, But I I had to kind of step out of the bathroom, you know, Uh, I had to step out of my comfort shell in order to engage people and experience God. Uh, Also, the first time I ever taught publicly, um, I was petrified, and it really wasn't that good, just being honest. Um, And I I, want to say this too, nobody exercises their gift perfectly. Like, it is God working in and through us, but we still have choices. It's not like we just get struck by lightning, and then we execute our gifting perfectly. No, it's God cooperating with us. He's not going to force you to exercise your gift. So nobody exercises their gifts perfectly, but here's a surefire way to discover and grow your gifting. Do something out of your comfort zone for the glory of Jesus and the good of people. That's a great way to discover and to develop spiritual gifts because it's God's power at work in you. And so, I mean, as we're talking about the church, every time I talk, like had those conversations I mentioned earlier to people about fully committing, even even this series, I'm uncomfortable with it. But I believe it's true. And reality is what we run into when we're wrong. 
Reality is, is what we run into when we're wrong. And it hurts when we run into reality. So I, I'm encouraging you and, and me to have conversations with the people around us about this and, and to live in line with what's true, uh, even if it's uncomfortable. Because show me the person in the Bible who was always comfortable. Their life was one marked by comfort and they experienced God deeply. Just show me that person. It definitely wasn't Jesus. And if you want closeness, if you want intimacy, friendship with Jesus, you've got to be close to his bride. I mean, you've got to be close to his body. And you've got to want it bad enough that you're willing to be uncomfortable and step outside of your comfort zone in order that you might experience God's power in your weakness. So here's principle number three. God shows up through another person's life in in the gifts, and he does this for the benefit of others. We see this in verse 7, where Paul says, to each is given, again, manifestation of the Spirit. This is like God showing up in his people, and he does it for the common good which means for the encouragement, for the building up of everybody around. And then Paul gives this list, and everywhere everywhere in Scripture you see a list. They're, they're kind of differing lists. There's some overlap, but I don't believe they're exhaustive. Most people don't believe the gifts listed in the Bible are all the gifts that there are. So th- this is just one list that Paul gives in verses 7 through 11. And Paul's point is all of these are empowered by one spirit, in order to encourage people, in order to build up the people around around them. So, again, just a quick review of the first three points. The Spirit gives gifts, and he does it to bless others. That's point number two, by making Jesus known. That's point number one. So, the Spirit gives gifts, he does it to bless others, by making Jesus known. Here's the fourth principle on spiritual gifts. Different gifts are given to individuals, but all joined together and all are used collectively. And this is where Paul introduces the illustration of the body. And in in verses 12 to 13, it's, it's a little confusing because he talks about baptism in the spirit, drinking of one spirit, But uh, I believe that all he's saying is, hey, we were all included in Christ once once we gave our lives to him, once we were born from above, uh, the new birth. And and then drinking from one spirit, we're, we're all being sustained by the same source. So we came essentially from the same place in in this this new birth. And now we're living out of this same life source. And we're all different kinds of people. But, that's what he means by Jews, Greeks, slaves, free. We're all different kinds of people. But, it's, it, there's this unity. Because, you know, we were born from above. We live out of the same life source together. And so our gifts are meant to be used collectively. And that's what he's driving at with the illustration of the body. So, principle number five is you have a role to play. Your part matters a lot. And, and that's why I read it the way that I read it. Because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. It's easy to look down on yourself and think, I don't have a lot to contribute here. But that's simply not true, according to the Bible. And, well, 
you might not have a lot to contribute, but God in you has a ton to contribute. He has given you gifts, manifestations of himself to be a blessing to the people around you. And so don't feel sorry for yourself. Don't throw a pity party. God arranged you in this body as he chose. And so it's easy. I mean, I've, I've felt sorry for myself before. I've never prayed and seen a miracle happen on the spot. I've never spoken in tongues, and I've asked for it. Man, I'm, I'm missing out. But what this is saying is your part matters. What you are lacking doesn't matter as much as what you have. You have personal relationship with the God of the universe, personal love relationship. So your role in this community that he's placed you, it matters. And so think of this diagnostic question or these two questions. If everyone participated in, in, in the life of the church, not just Sunday morning, but you know, the relationships that are the church, we are the church. If everyone participated at the same level as you, what would the church look like? Or would the, how would the church be described if everyone engaged life with God as you did? And I'm not saying, okay, you know, Jordan spends 30 minutes with God in the morning. It's all reading his Bible. We should all spend 30 minutes with God in the morning, 30 minutes of reading our Bible. I'm not, I'm not saying that, but like the engagement. How engaged is your mind and your heart around spending time with God, around spending your whole day with God? How would, how would the church be described if everyone engaged life with God like you? I think these are really helpful diagnostic questions because each of our parts individually, they matter and they make up the whole. And principle number six is, is similar, but it's kind of the other side of the coin. The people around you, their part matters. And, and Paul is driving at this by, by, by talking like the eye can't say to the hand, I have no need of you. Like, I'm better than you. I can do life without you. But, but again, it's God who has composed the body, Paul says. And he gives honor to the parts that, that we don't naturally give honor to. And so God's challenging us, hey, honor everyone. Everyone's role matters, not just your role. It, it, it can be easy for some of us to think, yeah, I lead a small group. My, my role is really important. But it's everyone's role that matters in God's economy. And so here's another diagnostic question. You know, just kind of diagnose your attitude, your, your approach to life and community. If everyone valued your contribution to the same degree that you value their contribution, how would you feel? Does that make sense? That's a lot of back and forth. Say it again. If everyone valued your contribution to the same degree that you valued their contribution, how would, how would you feel? And you might think, oh yeah, I value them. They know that. I just don't tell them. Do they really know that? Would you know that if people didn't tell you how valued you were, how much they appreciated? And, and specifically, here's what I say you bring into the table. What kind of church would it be? And then lastly, number seven. I didn't tell you there were seven at the beginning because seven's a lot. But <laughs> this is the last one. It's all done in community. This principle of spiritual gifts 
is all done in community. And that's why Paul summarizes and he ends this section by saying, now y'all, you all, plural, y'all are the body of Christ. And individually, each, each person, you're members, you're members of it. And so God's appointed apostles, prophets, teachers, miracles. And, and you might wonder, I wondered this week, what's with the list? He, he says first apostles, second prophets, third teachers. What's with the list here? Um, I think two things. One, he's saying no one can or should do it all because then after he lists them, he says, are all apostles? Are all prophets? I think he's building a list so that we can refer to that list later in his questions. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? No. No, they're not. And then I think he's also driving at tongues. He puts tongues at the bottom of the list uh, because they were being overvalued in Corinth. Um, I, I thought you all were curious about that, so... But, but it's all done in community. And so what this looks like is, is this past year, one of my best friends told me that this is the first time he's felt safe enough to press into and exercise the gifts that he believes God's spirit has given him. And I was just so happy to hear that because biblically, that's how this should operate. It's all done in community. It, it's like a tree that you plant in a, in a rock pile and then you never get it, give it any water, do you really expect that tree to grow? No. The, the way that gifts are discovered and developed and deployed are, are you give it really good soil, I mean, you know, like a tree, give it good water, and the soil and the water are friendships of, of safe uh, trust and love. That's the way that these things are meant to both be discovered and developed and, and deployed, used. So he says, y'all should desire the greater gifts in the most excellent way. Meaning, because you love God and because you love people, you, you ask God, hey, I really want to bless these people, but I can't do it apart from you manifesting yourself in me and through me. I, I can't love people well apart from you, Jesus, so help me. And give me whatever I need in order to do that. That's, that's the excellent way, is, is to live in love relationship. And so when we say we love God and love people, it's not a feeling that we're striving after. It's a commitment. And this takes courage, again. It takes courage to, to commit and to live out a commitment, especially when you're disappointed or you've been hurt by that in the past but I don't want this church or frankly, I don't want any other church walking around deformed, you know, like missing fingers, ligaments, arms, flailing around. It's, it's unnatural for, for the body to be disconnected. And according to the statistics that we looked at earlier, our culture's streets are apparently littered with random disconnected body parts of Jesus. Or potentially people who have never been saved at all. I don't know. That's between them and God. But my experience talking with people shows that it's, it's not too far removed. Like, th- this, is, this is where we live. And it's a tragedy. There's random disconnected body parts of Jesus flailing in the streets. It's a tragedy. But what an opportunity what an opportunity to invite them in and to be connected. And if not here, then somewhere else. Be, be connected 
and, and be experiencing God's power manifested in your life and in your relationships. And so I, I want to be clear, uh, having conversations with people like that um, who, who are, are not connected or, or being engaged in the life of the church yourself, exercising your gifts, none of these are rules to keep. Um, none of this is to be done out of guilt. Uh, it's not something you should conjure up on your own effort. The, the church and your involvement in the church, it's not your Savior, it's not your Lord, that's Jesus. But this is God's activity among us. This is God's invitation to us. God isn't cornering you into doing anything. Um, he's not twisting your arm to serve this way or that way. Um, he's inviting you in to life with him and life with his people. And he'll love you all the same, no matter what you say. Uh, but your experience of him will be greatly determined by the choices that you make. We believe in a God who became a man, who took on a body, and who became like us in every way so that he could be all that we need, all to us for love relationship with God in every way. He suffered in his body to take away our sins. And that's not the end of it, his activity. He rose again and he gave his very spirit to anyone who trusts in Jesus so that we can know him and do life with him. And, and this is the amazing part to me. The same God who took on a body now says, okay, you know what I did with my body. Now under my spirit's leadership, under my leadership, you all function together as my body. Together. What an incredible opportunity to, to know Jesus more deeply. And I'm not, I, I, I don't propose we try to change the world, but we just be faithful. To faithfully play your role, which faithfully playing your role is always found in discipleship to Jesus. No matter what your gift is, no matter if you have no idea what your gift is, the best way to discover it is in community. The best way to discover it is to pursue Jesus first. Discipleship always includes others and it results in impacting others. So no matter what your role is, the only way to find it, the only way to play it is to love God and love his people. So let's pray together. Talk to God. Uh, just talk to him about where you're at. Ask him to help you faithfully play your role. And trust that as you do that, you'll experience him.